This morning's scripture comes from John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Will you please pray with me? Lord, we ask that you open our hearts, open our ears and our mind, God, as we hear your word this morning. God, may you reveal things to us that we can carry into the world to be the example that Jesus has set for us. God, we lift this up in your son's name. Amen. Good morning. It's really good to be here with Sarah also here. <laughs> I feel like that never gets to happen, so this feels pretty special. Before we get started, I do want to give a, kind of a content warning. Uh, we are going to be talking about domestic violence this morning, and that can be really hard. So I ask that all of you please take care of yourselves. That might look like tuning me out for a second, doodling or reading something else. That might look like you leaving the room or going to a safe place, talking to someone that you love. 
We know that domestic violence affects so many people, whether directly or indirectly. So don't want anyone to sit and be uncomfortable. Please take care of yourselves this morning. I chose this morning's passage because it's my favorite passage in the entire Bible. And I use it a lot. I think I've read it here before, to be honest. I, I think that God has called us to some pretty big things, loving our neighbor. He's called us into the Great Commission. We have these commands from God throughout the New Testament. But I believe this passage shows us the how. How do you accomplish those big commands? By following this example, by being a foot washer. So to kind of think about what was happening at this time, what would have been kind of the context of this situation, let's imagine we're disciples for a second. You're walking around in probably sandals. You're not walking on paved roads, and you're sharing your walking space with some livestock. Your feet are gross. When you walk into a home, there was a servant's job That was to wash the feet of the guests coming into the home so that they're not tracking in all of that gross stuff into the home. Typically, that was the lowest servant's job. That was not a job anybody wanted. And here is Jesus at the end of his life. So we've seen him perform miracles We've seen him do incredible things and lead people. And here he is bowing himself down, humbling himself to the lowest position of the house and washing his disciples' feet. And then he says, it's not just what I've done for you. This is the example I want you to go do for each other and for others. So I want us to keep that in mind as we talk about some of the things that's happening in our world now. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And we we kind of honor those that have lost their lives, been survivors of domestic violence. And we throw that word around a lot, so I wanted to give a definition just so that we were all on the same page. This definition comes from the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence. They're our state entity uh, for the fight against domestic violence. And they were the first state coalition in the nation. So Pennsylvania has really been leading the way a lot of this. But they define domestic violence as a pattern of coercive behavior used by one person to gain power and control over another in an intimate or familial relationship. I'm going to read that again. Domestic violence is a pattern of coercive behavior used by one person to gain power and control over another in an intimate or familial relationship. This could be a marriage, but it also could be a parent-child or siblings, anybody that lives together and is in close relationship. It is a pattern. This is not something that happens overnight. This is not something that happens in one dramatic fail swoop. This is something that happens little by little over time. 
I'm a part of the team that goes into high schools and presents to young people about safe relationships. And we often joke with high school students that if you went out on a first date with somebody and they just punched you in the face, you're probably not going to go back out with that person. But if slowly over time they put you down or called you names, controlled where you went, controlled who you spent time with, controlled what money you had, if it turned to physical violence, it's often too late. In the state of Pennsylvania, one in four women and one in seven men have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner. That's quite a few people. In the state of Pennsylvania last year, in 2021, 112 people lost their lives to a domestic violence incident. And in the last 10 years, more than 1,600 people have died as a result of domestic violence. A majority of those deaths are women. However, some of them are men and children and law enforcement that have tried to intervene. It is a serious issue that I think sometimes gets put on the back burner. Domestic violence does not discriminate. It is not one particular race or ethnicity. It is not one particular socioeconomic status. It does not discriminate against gender, age, or where you live. We also know that domestic violence has often been viewed as a private family matter. Something that's it's in my house, it stays in my house. But we know that it's bigger than that. It is a social issue. It is a community issue. It is a public health issue. So I think that Jesus is calling us to be foot washers to this uh, epidemic. How do we serve our community well so that this stops? To get you thinking, here are some questions that we ask folks who've been in domestic violence situations. Does your partner insult you, embarrass you on purpose, or put you down? Does your partner try to control your life and where you go? Does your partner scare you with how they look at you or act towards you? Do they scare you in the way they act towards your kids or your pets or your family? Do they try to stop you from spending time with your family or friends? Do they get physical with you, wait, get physical with you in ways that you don't like, such as pushing, slapping, choking, or hitting? Does your partner control all of your money? Do they refuse to give you any of their money or benefits? Do they try to stop you from going to work or going to school? Do they try to pressure you for sex or say that you owe them sex or threaten to cheat on you? Do they act like their name calling and hitting is no big deal? For example, do they deny that their actions even happened? Do they say that you caused them to do what they've done? Do they threaten you or scare you with weapons? threaten to kill you, your pets, your children, or threaten to kill themselves. 
especially when you say you want to leave or end the relationship. Those are some serious situations that people find themselves in. We hear from survivors that come into women's services that they think that it is their fault. We meet people that have struggled with addiction or homelessness and think that they're an easy target. Well, if I wouldn't have been using drugs, well, if I wouldn't have taken that job, but that is also a tactic of the abuser. It is never a victim's fault that the abuse is happening. That level of control for someone to say, I've brought this upon myself. It's a hard pattern to break. But there are ways to break it, to prevent it from happening altogether. As a society, we have to come together and recognize that there is no blame or shame given to the victim and that we have power to speak out against unhealthy relationships. One of the ways we're doing that is in our Hope community in Fifth Ward. If we provide community support and hope and resources, we can do that. We also have places like Women's Services that are working to try to end violence. We have people like myself and my team that go into schools and community organizations and speak to people about domestic violence and sexual violence and ways that they can prevent it. We also have counselors on staff. If someone has been a survivor and they need someone to talk to, they can come in and receive counseling. We also have legal advocacy. Most people that end up in a domestic violence situation often find themselves in the legal and court processes. They need to file for a protection from abuse order, or they have a custody arrangement they need to work out, or maybe a divorce that needs filed. That process often feels intentionally hard. Who do you talk to? How do you pay for things? What judge am I supposed to see? Our legal advocate can help work through all of those scenarios. She can sit with you while you go through those things, and her office is conveniently located in the courthouse, so she's always there to answer questions. We also have medical advocacy. If someone ends up in the hospital due to a severe physical attack, it could be really scary to go through an exam alone. It can feel like you don't know what your rights are when doctors and police are showing up and asking lots of questions. But our medical advocate can help navigate that process, help remind you what your rights are, be there to hold your hand if you need it. I think Women's Services is most well known for their shelter. And we do have shelter for people that need to stay if they're fleeing from domestic violence or experiencing homelessness for another reason. But Women's Services is a lot more than just the shelter. There are also ways that just general community members can step in. And I want you to remember your safety is crucial. So please don't put yourself in a situation where you feel like it might be dangerous. If you see something or you hear something and you don't feel like you can intervene, please call 911. But if it's someone that you love and care about and it is safe to do so, 
Ask someone if they need help. Ask hard questions. Understand they may not be truthful the first time. Be a good listener when they're ready to talk. Tell them about places like Women's Services. Everything that we do is confidential and it's free. Someone can come receive counseling or advocacy support and they don't have to worry about us telling anybody else. We have the same legal confidentiality privileges as a doctor or a lawyer. No one's paying for our services as a survivor. In kind of a cool turn of events, a lot of our funding comes from fines from criminals. <laughs> so a large part of our funding comes from people that have committed the crime. You can offer a ride if you feel safe to a local shelter or to a domestic violence program. You can even offer to babysit. If someone has children and they need to go to appointments and they need to go to the courthouse or they need to show up to all of these things, that can be hard when all of a sudden they found themselves as a single parent. Offering to watch their kids or offering to give them a ride, offering to hold their hand or attend the appointment with them. You have lots of power to help someone in need. And that's what Jesus has set the example for us to do. I think that this story reflects well into something like domestic violence because it's not always a pretty job. They're not always easy conversations and they're not always pleasant ways to volunteer our time. But Jesus wasn't about what was easy or pretty. Jesus knelt on the ground and washed the muck off of his disciples' feet. Jesus' example tells us that the job is going to be hard sometimes. We need to remember, though, as we step in and intervene, a victim knows their abuser the best. They're the ones that live with them. They're the ones that are experiencing their abuse, but also all of the other aspects of that relationship. We often use the analogy that the survivor drives the bus. You can be a passenger, you can help give directions, but you're not the one driving. Respect their choices, even if that looks like they need to stay for right now. They may not be able to leave, because of financial reasons or other reasons. Even if someone chooses something that we would not have chose for them, we have to respect it and keep walking with them. The best thing we can do is encourage a, a person who is being abused to call the police, call someone like Women's Services, and help get them to safety as soon as we can. Leaving is a big decision for someone in a domestic violence situation. And leaving is often the most dangerous time for them. That's when we see abusers become more violent. That's when we see abusers use their power to say, if you don't want to be with me, then you can't be with anybody. 
If someone does want to leave a domestic violence situation, they're going to need the most support they've ever had. Family and friends to step in, counselors and advocates to be there for them, and the police to back them up if necessary. I know domestic violence is not the happy topic that I'm usually here talking about. But this is the reality of some of our neighbors. These are the reality of people in our own community. And Jesus has called us to serve them and to serve them well. If you'll please pray with me. God, we pray for those that are affected by domestic violence. God, we pray that they see your strength in them. God, we pray that they get to safety as soon as they can. And God, we pray as a community that we can walk alongside them. God, that we can be the foot washers that you've called us to be. That we can humble ourselves to serve them, to love them, to help get them to safety. God, we pray as we walk into this community that you give us your wisdom and guidance and discernment. And God, we are so thankful for the example that your son has set. In your name we pray. Amen.